Welcome to the Real Freedom Podcast, where we inspire you to pursue your passion to gain time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. I'm your host, Mike Swenson. Let's get some real freedom together. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Real Freedom Podcast. And I am so excited about our guest today. Um, somebody with just a, a kindred spirit of you know my mission and what I want to be able to show um, on this podcast. And today we've got Michael Dominguez here. And uh, what makes Michael special is so he is has been a realtor. Um, he's been uh, doing investments over the last 15 years or so. He's a member of the Remax Hall of Fame and founder of Doors to Wealth Real Estate Group. And so uh, started in real estate in 2008, bought your first investment property and have added to your portfolio since then. And then the exciting news for you, you've got a book out, um, Armchair Real Estate Millionaire, and uh, really just taking the lessons that you've learned and compiling that to help people build wealth through real estate, which is exactly what this podcast is about. Um, so welcome, Michael. We're so excited to have you on. Why don't you just take a couple minutes and share a little bit more? Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, actually, great introduction, by the way. I should actually I should record that and just use that from now on. That's fantastic. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you, you actually nailed it. I, uh, um, as a second career or third career, I went into real estate not really knowing where my future was going to, to go with that. Uh, within about a year or so, uh, I was fo- focusing mainly on working with investors. And I was seeing... Can I back up just a half step here? So what what did you do before you got into real estate? Sure. I was actually selling franchises for a pet food franchise here in Canada and, and the United States. But I was, I was the franchise coordinator for this particular company. And so I, I did have a fair bit of experience working with business owners. And so uh, using the term kindred spirits, a good example, a good, good phrase, because I found my people uh, when I started going into real estate and I saw a lot of business people that were building wealth through real estate. And, uh, and that's really how it, how it all began as I was focusing on working with them. And then fast forward, even just a few months, I was realizing, heck, if they could do it, I could do it. And Mm -hmm. uh and the first property or two that I purchased, to be honest, weren't necessarily the type of properties that I'm advocating today. As a matter of fact, I've sold those properties. Um, but uh, and and honestly, part of my mindset for even investing was to make myself a better realtor, thinking I had more credibility. Little did I know, as much as that was great, it was the long-term wealth and success and and freedom changes that happened as a result of of investing in real estate and. And, you know, and to make a long story short, I, I started to make that my number one focus. I turned my entire, I created a real estate team and we focused on working with investors and we became known in our community as being the, the go-to experts mm-hmm. for, uh, for working with investors. Um, a lot of my success came on real estate tours and sort of, you know, back in the day where you could actually shake hands with people and take people on tours and stuff like that. I used to have groups of 20 and 30 people going around from home to home. And, and so a lot of that information and education that we provide in the tours, I basically put into this book. And so I could pass it on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like, you know, what, what you were saying in terms of, um, you know, seeing the the benefit of, of, buying those investment properties. And I think people also have to understand that it does, it it can, some people do things quickly and some people don't, but if, if you just had, 
you know, whether it's a goal of a property a year or property every two years, um, maybe your first couple of years, you start out slow like that, but then it's like pushing a snowball down a hill. So it's going to gain momentum and it's going to gain steam as you build some more wealth. Now you have more wealth to put down on future properties, or you have more knowledge and experience to bring other people in. So I think sometimes what might sell, what might prevent people from getting started is just thinking like, oh, I've got to be like so-and-so and buy five properties this year. And I don't have the time or I don't have the knowledge or I don't have the whatever it is, but it just starts with one. And one can go to two and two to three, or it can go from two to four to eight to you know 16 pretty quickly, but it's, you got to get started. Well, absolutely. And, and one of the things I talk about in my book is I'm not necessarily focused on the people that have eight and 15 properties. That's, that's awesome if you do, but mm-hmm. just a li- as little as two or three properties can change one's life. And, uh, and actually some of the success stories I, I chose were with intention were with people with as little as two or three properties because mm-hmm. uh, two properties for a young couple uh, plus their own principal residence can make a huge difference. Uh, there was this one couple that uh, that they were um, uh, just had a re- just basically had a got married, had a child, and they were thinking, "How the heck am I going to pay for this kid's education l- later on in life?" Then they thought about, "Geez, I could refinance one of my investment properties 15, 17 years from now, and and his entire education is paid for." That's the power of real estate, and that's a success story. Like it, you don't necessarily need to be a full time job to actually make a real difference through real estate. Yeah, and that that example example was actually my uh, my experience. So we had bought <clears throat> our first townhouse when we got married, um, right as the market crashed um, in two thousand and six. And so I, I tell people I was so excited because we bought it for less than it was bought uh, when it was a new construction two years two years before that. So I was like, oh, we're getting a good deal. <laughs> and then I watched as the market went down, and and the value of it ended up being about half of what we bought it for, <clears throat> and. So I was I was stuck and and we wanted to start a family and so we were looking to build a you know potentially go go buy another house and so long story short I ended up renting that townhouse and I remember doing the math like I had a, a 30 year spreadsheet here of my mortgage payment how much of the principal got paid down every month and then I would put in um, I'm a spreadsheet nerd if you couldn't tell from my story here <clears throat> and then uh, I had another column of appreciation you know like what if it appreciated at X. And then I, I calculated out like how many years would it take to break even, but then how many, how much money am I making each month on the print, just on principal reduction and appreciation. And so seeing that little incremental gain month by month by month, and then you fast forward, you know, three years, five years, 10 years, that was my goal is, okay, this townhouse now can pay for my son's education when he, you know, graduates because we bought it and we ended up refinancing to a 20 year mortgage. So that's where, you know, 20 years, I think we, we, we moved out of it maybe a year or two before he was born. So, you know, that timing lines up, but that's a real tangible example. And I think it helps people to set a kind of a, a forced deadline of how to get started. You know, when you can tie a property to a a real life event like that, like being able to pay for somebody's education, or if you're retiring and want to retire in so many years, it's like, okay, if I have this mortgage, now this could be, you know, help to fund my retirement. I think it gets people off the ledge a little bit and willing to jump in and take that risk that seems to hold so many people up. 100%. And the other thing that, that scares so many people is, you know, again, we all have been reading the stories of the surging housing prices in the last uh, couple of years. And, and you know, a lot of people are, 
might might be thinking, how am I going to come up with the uh, with the money to purchase this property? But the cool thing is, is that if you do currently own real estate, which many of our listeners are going to be already owning real estate, mm-hmm. you've been riding a bit of a wave with your own principal residence. And honestly, my wife and I, that's how we grew our portfolio. We didn't have millions of dollars to start with. The fact that we were able to buy a property 10 consecutive years was not because we had a you know, a boatload of cash to start with. We had a house that pretty much had no debt on it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in our market, the house at the time was worth about $600,000. And had we done nothing, you know, it would have appreciated over time. And now that same house is probably worth about double that, about $1.2 million. So we still would have seen a a $600,000 appreciation in our real estate. But because we leveraged that house and what we did was we got a we got a line of credit and eventually even a mortgage against the house that was essentially paid off, but used the money to, to create down payments for, for the properties we started purchasing. That in itself gave us the 20% down, which was required in, in Canada um, to, to purchase the property. Then we leveraged the other 80% on, um, in a mortgage. So essentially, the 20% came from our house and the 80% came from the bank. So essentially, that was 100% leveraged properties. And you know, for those that are you know, not great on math, that's not a lot of money to put down. And so, um, but the cool thing is, is a lot of every one of the properties that we purchased had the right market fundamentals, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, Mike. Uh, but secondly, uh, they each covered their expenses and had a little bit of cash flow left over, even with 100% leverage. And so even if there is a market downturn like you experienced back in 07, 08, um, as long as the property is covering itself, even if I were to lose my job and not be able to um, take money towards my life, towards the mortgage, that's okay. The property is covering itself. And that put me in a position where it's, it's hard to fail. It really was hard to fail. Yeah, because when you have time, I mean, yes, the, the real estate market can ebb and flow and, and there there's bound to be a couple of larger blips on the radar. But yeah, if, if you're looking out, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, it will, it will pay off over time. You know, I remember my parents telling me, you know, what they first bought their house for. And you think like, oh my gosh, I can't believe houses were that cheap. And just imagine, you know, fast forward 15 years when my kids are asking me what we bought our first home for. And they're gonna be like, I can't believe it, you know? And so over time, you're, you're gonna win. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think that's the key is, is you, you need to have a, a plan and figure out what if something were to were to go down or were to have a you know a blip in the long term radar could you could you cover it? I mean worst case scenario if you've got equity in the property you can always sell it um, if something were to happen or like you said if you've got the cash flow you just keep renting it out and put your head down and over time it's it's going to work itself out. Yeah, and one comment you made which which is sort of a common stories that real estate values always go up. And I, I want to address that a little bit because the answer is not always the case. Uh, and that's really what I, I like to, to focus on. And, and I, have a, I have a chapter that we uh, that's chapter three, it's called Legalized Insider Trading. And so um, in that chapter, we, we, we try to teach the, the reader to, to go beyond just sort of the assumptions that are out there in real estate and to do a little bit more understand the fundamentals. I always use the analogy 
that if I sit down at a poker table and I'm the worst person at the poker table, uh, I don't want to sit at that poker table. Become a market expert, become an industry expert. And that doesn't mean across all the United States. It it might not even be a, across all of Minnesota, for example. Mm-hmm. It might be right. in <clears throat> one district of one city. And you just know that market better than anyone else. But um, the cool thing about real estate is, it does. It, although it doesn't always go up, if the fundamentals are pushing it up, it's going to go up. So things such as population increases, and that comes as a result of job increasing. So if you see a market where there's increased infrastructure, increased job market, uh, that leads to an increase in population. The increase in population puts more pressure on the demand side of real estate. And so as a result, um, uh, the reality is, is supply isn't able to match a, a, a city like Minneapolis that's growing by mm-hmm. over 1% a year. Uh, they just can't match that. The land price is too much. The labor cost is too much. The building material, we all have heard the building materials are going up. So you can't build affordable housing. So as a result of that, um, the existing housing stock is just going to keep rising and rising and rising. So that's what I advocate so much is to do a little bit of market research and find a market that's growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, um, There's some markets in Texas that are fantastic from that perspective. Interesting enough, a market that I kind of would be nervous to invest in right now is New York City, even though that's one of the greatest cities in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, New York City has had declining population and and declining jobs. And that's that's a scary thing if you want to be a real estate investor. So I would happily invest in the outskirts of Minneapolis for sure if 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 I had that opportunity. Yeah, and and talking about that, you know, so when I worked for my nonprofit before I got into real estate, um, I was in a lot of impoverished communities where, um, you know, you think about out <clears throat> out in out east in Pennsylvania where it was, um, you know, cities that were mining towns. Well, all of a sudden the mining dries up and all the jobs leave. And now you've got houses selling for, um, you know, I lived in communities where where decent houses were selling for $20,000. And this is 10 years ago, um, just because nobody wanted to, the, the supply was so so large compared to the demand that the prices were way down. And so, yeah, as, as long as you're in communities that are continuing to grow, you're always going to see that demand. But but yeah, if, if you turn and you look at a, at a city like that, um, your your investment play, if there is any play, is a, is a cash flow play. It's not it's not an appreciation play. And that, and that makes me nervous as well. And we'll talk about that in right. yeah. time. But um, but yeah, just because a property is cheap does not mean it's a good deal. Um, yeah. I would I would rather um, my investors purchase in a quality market and um, find a quality property in a quality market that attracts quality tenants. And then it becomes a very easy buy and hold. You could hold it for a long period of time. And it's the hold that builds the wealth. And that leads towards quality profits. And, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, that's what we're all here for. And as good as the cash flow can be on some of those discounted markets, uh, I'll take the long-term appreciation of a market like like Toronto or Minneapolis or El Paso, Texas. Like Those are markets that are, that are going to see like six figure and seven figure surges in value over over our lifetime and yeah. and that's the kind of that's the kind of wealth I want to build and, it's and if you even look if you look at the cash flow of you know let's just say 200 bucks 300 bucks per door per month well that's maybe $3000 2 to $3000 a year well if it appreciates 
at 4%, 6%, something like that. The money that you're going to make is going to weigh more than outweigh what your, your cash flow gain is. So it's nice to have both of those working in your favor, but the appreciation is, is the, the long-term benefit. And the other thing that uh, people don't take into consideration when they're investing in markets like the one you talked about in Pennsylvania or Michigan or Ohio and some of the Rust Belt markets is you know the fact that you know it's cool that you can buy a house for twenty thousand dollars, but the reality is is that um, it's quite likely that the last owner and the last three owners of that house didn't put any money into that home because it hasn't appreciated. So they don't want to sink any dollars into it. As a result, right. there's a lot of deferred maintenance issues. And so if you come in there and you don't want to be a slumlord and you don't want to have low quality tenants, you're going to have to spend some real money to fix it up to the levels where at least it's it's habitable. And your cash flow for the next five years can go away really fast if you've got to sink $30,000, $40,000 into foundation and roofing and windows and furnace and air conditioner and blah, blah, blah. Before you know it, you've, you've your cash flow is all gone. Mm-hmm. Also, if it's in a market where pretty much all the tenants are out of work and maybe um, low credit scores, there's a good chance you're going to have to struggle to get your rents. And honestly, this, this life is like... The, the goal is to make your investments boring so you can make your life exciting. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what you're supposed to do. And so you can have those five properties in a cheap town in Pennsylvania. Let me have one in the suburbs of Minneapolis that's, that's going to have a little bit of cash flow and appreciate it 5% in the next couple of years per year. Like that's, that's the market I want to have. Yeah. And I love uh, in your bio, it says, you know, real estate should fund your, fund your life, not run your life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when you, when you put in the, when you take the time to pick the right areas and pick the right properties, um, that's where the fun starts to happen <laughs> versus heaping more and more problems on top of it. You know, and, and I think that's why some people decide not to get into rental real estate um, because it's, it's the, the, the example that everybody gives of the, the 2 a.m. toilet breaking, you know, or something like that. Well, they think, there's more problems with this. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, is you can hire a good property manager that can help you with that stuff. And you don't have to deal with the toilets at 2 a.m. if you don't want to. And when you pick the right property, there's meat on the bone to be able to make some of those decisions. So it's not, you know, hey, if I own 10 properties in 10 years, I'm just running around fixing toilets at midnight every night. Yeah. You know, you're you're finding great leverage and a great team of people to help you um, so that it can really fund your life, not run your life. I um, In my success stories that I provided, I, I asked the question, how many hours per month do you dedicate on your real estate portfolio? And the people that had five properties or less we're spending in some cases less than five hours a month on their portfolio. So an hour a week, basically. And that was not by luck. It was because of the quality properties right at the outset. When uh, I often say you should, before you find the property, you should look for, you should try to decide on the tenant profile that you're, that you're looking for, and then find a property that will suit that tenant profile versus the other way around. Because uh, at the end of the day, in a buy and hold, as I said already, it's the buy gets all the attention and all of the investment books. It's exciting. If I can make it on the buy, that's fantastic. But you know what? If I bought something on the in the MLS system at retail price and then held on to it for 15, 20 years, to your point from earlier, I'm pretty confident that if I sold it at retail 20 years from now, I'm going to do okay. And uh, and the key is to have that property so it's not taking over your life for those 20 years. And the reality is, is that when you get people with 
700, 800 credit score with real jobs and real mentality that they're, they're future homeowners that are now renting for whatever reason. Uh, and they're going to treat your property with respect. The reality is, is that um, we actually have to go to the tenants most of the time and ask if there's anything going on. They don't want to bother us. They, 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 mm-hmm. they're just happy. You know, we treat them with respect. They treat us with respect. And you know, yeah, everyone's, if you, if you sit in a room with 10 realtors or 10 investors, they're going to all share their horror stories because that's the fun thing to do. But at the end of the day, it's, you'll go a year or two without having one real issue in many cases with a portfolio of, I've got 12 current properties right now. We just aren't having a lot of issues. It just, mm-hmm. just not. I had a tenant that, uh, that reached out to me. We had a, a water heater. So in this townhouse that went out um, a couple of months ago. And, and so he had texted me and said, Hey, you know, hope everything's going well. Sorry to bother you. Um, you know, our water heater is out and I'm thinking, bother me. You, you don't have hot water for a shower right now. And you think that you're being a bother, you know? And, and so that's where, you know, it was a a simple phone call to a plumber. We had somebody out there, I think in two days and it was fixed and it was taken care of. And so, um, so something like that, yeah, it doesn't take a lot of time to, to fix that. Um, and yet at the same time, like you mentioned, I I think sometimes he, he feels like he's bothering me by reaching out and it's like, Hey, you know, I, I'm happily going to take care of that for you because it was is kind of at its life's end anyhow. I knew that those types of of mechanical issuers were going to be coming up, but um, yeah, he he felt bad bothering me, and it's like, well, shoot, you know, I I want you to have hot water, so let's make sure you get get some hot water. Well, and that's the kind of tenant you want to have, and then if you treat them with respect, you don't you deal with it right away. We we you know. When does a furnace go out? Usually on the coldest day of the year, right? And and so we've we've had that happen, and I'm sure in Minnesota you've had that happen, or at least some of your friends have had it. Uh, we actually have a couple of uh, block heaters that we that we have in our storage unit that mm-hmm. are there for just such an emergency, because you know obviously we're not going to get the temperature up to 68 degrees or something like that, but at least it could be above you know above 50. And, uh, and so, you know, not only that, but it's good for us that a pipes won't burst and such like that either. Right. And, uh, um, and things like that, if, if, if it's going to take a day or so to fix something like that, the fact that we're being so incredibly proactive, um, it goes a long ways for the tenants and they're not going to bother us with little things. Like you, you, we all heard about all the, the rent strikes that were happening across the United States and Canada for people that weren't paying during COVID uh my tenant profile and likely yours and and many of my clients uh we just didn't have that happen like all of our people maintained their job or even if they were struggling with money the last thing they were going to try to miss was rent payments because they mm-hmm. they they realized that we're business people and you know we treat them with respect and they treat us with respect and and that's that's the way it should be and and you know i don't want to have to be you know, begging for my rent every month. That's that's not the way I want to be doing this. This is meant to be a way to fund your life and and give me choices. And and you know, I'm 50. Well, just turned 56, but at 55, I made the decision to I could retire if I wanted to. And and when I was 43, that just was not even in the cards. Like I had not a lot of wealth, but just a decade worth of of good decisions. Mm-hmm. made a massive difference in my life. And now I have not only enough money for myself, but I'm going to have a legacy that I can pass on to, to, to my son and my niece and nephew, and, and I'll be able to help on their education. And, and like, these are the things that real estate has been able to provide for me. And I'm traveling anywhere I want to travel, assuming that things open up again. So mm-hmm. 
Well, and I think another thing that I that I've heard from people that are investors too is um, a desire to to help people, um, you know, provide a great place to live. That you're going to be an attentive landlord, and there's a lot of value there because there is a lot of landlords, aren't there? That a lot of landlords out there that aren't providing great value, and so even just providing a quality place and you take care of it, you make sure it's kept up. If somebody's got an issue like the water heater, you take care of it. Um, that's adding value for them too, um, because there's there's people that love renting, you know, or there's people that you know are still saving up for their house. And so um, to be able to provide that value and help people as a landlord is something else that you can do um, and not feel like I'm, you know, obviously you're in it for the money too, um, but you're also in it because you're you're wanting to help people and wanting to provide a, a good um, place for them to live. Yeah, the perfect tenant is somebody who um, has intention of leaving your unit in two to five years. Uh, and most likely they're going to, they're going to leave, not because they, they found another rental around the corner, but because they're actually looking to purchase a job transfer. Uh, we're just not losing tenants because of $50 here, a hundred dollars there. It's just not right. happening. It's, it's, it's actually, it's, you know, they, in all honesty, we're seeing tenants that are staying too long because with the rents increasing as much as they have been, which is very common in markets where um, we see housing pricing increasing, we also see rents increasing as well. And so many of my rents are actually a little below market because we, in our market, have a, a form of rent control where we're not able to keep it up with market values. You know, your market may be different. I don't know. But um, so we're actually kind of falling behind on our market. We're still cash flowing. We're still doing well. We've got great tenants. They're all paying the rent. They're treating the house with respect. But, you know, if they move out, we're not going to cry over it because we'll find another really great person and collect a little bit more rent too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So what other things um, are important? You know, we, we talked about the insider trading piece. Um, you know, what are some of the other concepts that you want to make sure that that people understand? Well, you know, again, it's, you know, I kind of alluded to it because obviously we can't go into a lot of detail today, but I always like to tell people that it, it's not necessarily something that's going to take over your life. It's, although it's something that you'll, you know, it's amazing how you'll start to network with other people. And actually, one thing I do want to share really quickly is if you are just getting started, uh, it's likely that your circle of friends, your your family and influence isn't po quite possibly not in real estate investing. And that's okay. Um, and I'm not saying you dump all your friends and family, but try to include in your circle people that are actually taking action, joining investing groups, local groups. Uh, listening to this podcast is a great place to start, but uh, but going beyond that and actually talking to people who are actually doing action and starting to by networking with some of those people, you'll really um, you'll you'll start to it'll feel more normal to take action and 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 uh, avoiding the negative influences that are sort of telling you to stay with the status quo. The status quo has got you to where you are right now, which is probably not terrible, but you, you can do a lot better. And this is a way just with some minor modifications in your life can, can drastically influence and change the, um, the, the outcome of where, where you're going to be in life. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think it comes down to having that, that future why out there, right? It's, it's going to help drive your action today when you can see what it can become. If, if you could say, you know, to somebody watching this or listening to this, you know, that's 43 years old and think, okay, you know, 10, 10 plus years from now, I could be retired. Um, you know, a lot of people just don't even think that's possible to say, well, what if you took a little bit of extra time and you spent on, you know, trying to figure out this real estate thing that you've always wanted to do, what it could mean from now is you can retire in 10 years versus what piles of money am I going to have to put away and invest in the stock market or, you know, whatever that might be. Well, if you just find some, some great cash flowing properties that are appreciating and you do that a few times, boom, now 10 years later, you've got something completely different. And, and like you said, somebody that something that you never thought was going to be possible, you know, 10 plus years ago. So, um, so there's, there's a quote that uh, from Bill Gates, which I like to, it's one of my favorite quotes, is people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. Um, it's, it's amazing how many you know, times I, I go on these short-term diets and lose a few pounds and gain a few pounds, and, and, uh, but, but with a long-term mindset in health, in health you know, you're going to do a lot better. And with regards to wealth building, the, the line that we were told when we were teenagers in our 20s about saving money and going into GI or into investment vehicles that are making two and four percent return and bonds and stuff like that, you know, you were you were told a bunch of of lies, basically. Uh, leveraging your money and actually finding ways of, of getting safe returns with significant returns is a way to just jumpstart your your wealth. And uh, and the aha moment for me came a few years ago or more than a few years ago now. But uh, when, when I realized that my nine to five job that took 2000 plus hours a year to accomplish paled in comparison to the wealth I made through my real estate earnings. And so I thought, holy crap, my houses are making more money than I am. And, and then it just got stupid, the difference between the two of them. And, and that's, and that's kind of neat when you have almost like a, a second or third income in your house and the income is someone who's not actually working. And it got to the point where now that I'm 56, uh, my, my part-time passive income is actually generating enough wealth that I've reached my financial freedom number where I don't need to work anymore. And, and I could just live off of my earnings and live a very comfortable, very comfortable life. I'm making, you know, in the 15 to $20,000 a month range now mm -hmm. from cash flow and, and other dividends and other residuals, which, I wouldn't even have been conceivable 15 years ago, just not even in the realm. So mm -hmm. it's been pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Um, and for those folks that want to, to learn more about you and learn more about your book, how can they do that? Absolutely. And yeah, I really, regardless of where you're, where you're located, whether it's the United States or Canada or, or anywhere else in the world, a lot of the stuff I teach is more mindset and market fundamentals. And, uh, and so it's, it's universal. It's not relevant for just one region. And so uh, my book, again, is Armchair Real Estate Millionaire. And, and uh, conveniently enough, it's armchairrealestatemillionaire.com. Mm -hmm. And if you want to reach me, I'm at info at armchairrealestatemillionaire.com. And uh, I really encourage you to pick up the book for the 20, 25 bucks that it costs you to get it. Uh, I really think that this could be uh, a major point of difference in, in, in one's life. And it's interesting how real estate has changed so many people's lives. And I've seen it. Uh, it's, we've had such an incredible success rate 
uh, for ourselves and our clients and everyone we've spoken to, as long as you buy properly and you're dealing with quality people, you're going to do very well. And what we always tell uh, tell our team is, you know, there's there's two great times to plant a tree: twenty years ago and today, right? So so make that decision today that you know whether it's by the end of this year or within the next twelve months, I'm going to have my first rental property or, or whatever that is. You got to set a goal and you got to put a timeline on that. Um, but yeah, you you can be anywhere you want to be five years from now, and in in your case, ten years from now too, and and look back. So it's it's about starting today. So what it what barriers in your way? today um, that you can get started and your book obviously would be a great resource for people because it is it is mindset it's it's being okay taking the risk because you know what the reward is on the other side of it and it's nice to know that the risk is and again we talk about this a lot in the book about you know we all talk about the term risk and anytime you're putting money into an investment there is an element of risk but honestly I think it's far more risky to put your money in a savings account where you're guaranteed to make 1% interest. That, in my mind, is the riskiest thing of all. So, uh, because, you know, if, if let's say the uh, the inflation rate is 3%, by you putting it at 1% or 2%, you have 100% guaranteed yourself a loss. Right. And uh, and we even, we even compare uh, with banks and how why they do leveraging at such low interest rates. Um, and that's a story for another day. But the fact that they're willing to do that tells us that the banks, people that know a lot more about finances than you and I do, they think that real estate investing in certain markets is a very low risk investment. So, so really seriously think about it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate your time and uh, best of luck to you in the future. Thank you. Nice to meet you again.